What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by a first timer on this very podcast to talk all things NBA tonight. Preston, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm so good. All of a sudden, your your voice got so smooth. It started out exciting, like we were about to, you know, watch WWE SmackDown, and then all of a sudden, it turned into smooth jazz with Chase Tomas. <laughs> <laughs> that that's fair. Um, yeah, that was that was not the plan. Uh, but you know, um, I I don't know. You 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 don't really realize who you are as a person until you host your own podcast, and then you, the real stuff comes out and uh, certain things about your personality. You're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to transition into the NPR voice whenever, or I'm going to um, use this word that I rarely use in my uh, normal day-to-day life. It's, it's very interesting, but um, this is not something that you, uh, you do until you're, you're in the game, right? I think the best part about having your own podcast, I have too, is when you start talking for so long and then you realize that you've been talking for a long time. And then as you're talking, you're thinking, oh my God, am I going crazy? How long have I been talking? But you're still like trying to get points across and trying to be entertaining and trying to be interesting. And you really like on on this uh, platform that we're using right now, Uber Conference, you can actually track how many minutes each person talks. So after you finish the podcast, you can go, good grief, I spoke for 24 minutes and Chase only spoke for 11? Is is that how I am in everyday life? Do I just not never stop talking? Uh, but it's definitely something that, that I think becomes more natural with practice. And I think everybody, literally everybody, should get a podcast. There's something everyone is passionate about and it builds a skill that that just can't be measured uh, the the act of talking to people not only builds up your confidence in yourself, but the most important aspect of it is you make contacts. You make so many contacts. You make a contact with somebody like Chase Thomas that maybe I'll never talk to again, or maybe I'll actually meet at NBA Summer League. I'm I'm not kidding. I am legit friends with people that I had on my podcast probably like half a dozen times and had never met before. Uh, so if if you're young, or really if you're anybody, there's got to be something out there, and it's just too easy to get your own podcast. Like. Everybody has a podcast. My sister has a podcast. My neighbor has a podcast. Like, I just, I just can't sell it enough. Two things on that. Um, one, I agree with the second part. I agree with the latter point. Um, it's interesting that um, I don't know how long you're, you've been doing your shows, but now when you look back, because I'm now nearing my 30th birthday and I've been doing these since my senior year of college and wow. just doing podcasts and writing for different sites and writing for SB Nation and all these people, it's like, some of them now have kids. They have like kids that are like reaching middle school. Um, and it's like, oh, I remember when we talked about like them being like little kids. It's really strange that um, all these people, some, most of them whom I have not met and probably will never meet, I just know so much about. And just to see how much time has passed since we were um, first recording and everything, it's just, it's crazy. I will say, I am not going to advocate for more podcasts. I'm going to actually, this is why I don't like doing interviews or I'm not a good person to go speak to your class. I'm not a good person to, uh, 
to give the the great answer of like go chase your dreams because I uh, I am going to say no. We have too much actually. We have we have too many. Um, I would actually prefer more get canceled. Too much content. I want uh, I want less competition in my life. I want less competition. That uh, like I I I feel part of me just die whenever I see a new smart podcast pop out, especially in the sports realm where I'm like oh they're they're gonna be in the that I'm fighting for for that same audience. I'm fighting for that same sliver and uh, this is good. And this is another adversary. Um, even though it's really not adversarial and we're all just trying to do it, but um, I don't know that that is something that I'm just, I always go back and forth on because I'm just like, ah, there's so many out there and I, I need, uh, I need the competition to dwindle. Now you've got 14,400 followers. I think it says, and each and every one of them is so excited to hear this, this podcast monologue we're going into right now, but I'm going to kick back again because I was equally scared. Just like you, uh, our podcast, uh, for the Pelicans was, uh, the second highest rated for years and years and years. Really our only competition was locked on and we would seesaw back and forth in front of them, behind them, based on how much volume we were putting out. Now it's at a point where there's probably like 15, 20, 25 Pelicans, uh, podcast, but we're still getting the same numbers. Our numbers have not changed. People hmm. are still listening. Um, it's just that people have other things to listen to because now people are just listening to more podcasts in general. It's become more yeah. popularized. Uh, people are on their headphones all the time. How many times do you walk down the street or if you live in a big city and you see somebody with AirPods on, odds are they're either listening to an audiobook or they're listening to a podcast. Like the volume is just at an unprecedented high. But with that being said, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, somebody who's just getting started, you don't have a lot of followers. It's, it's really hard to build up, but you're not doing it for that. If you're Chase, you've already got, you've got your bedrock foundations. You've got 15,000 followers. That's really, really hard to do. So regardless of what your product is, people are going to tune in. And then once you get them in, it's just about keeping them there. And that has nothing to do with your competition. That's just you continuing to deliver, you know, high quality product. And as long as you do that, you're not going to lose any, uh, but gaining more, that is a challenge. And that's, that's the reason that you come to people like me. You come to people like some of my friends who have larger followings than I have, because you think that in the hopes that if I bring some of my people to you and I retweet it or whatever, some, somehow that'll work. But, but generally it's just. All you have to focus on is you. As long as you continue doing good work, you're not going to lose anything. And the longer you stay in this business, the the more popular, the more followers, whatever it is your goal, you're going to continue to assess. You you've just joined Blue Wire, which is a really good network. So you already see that you're that you're doing really well. So competition isn't going to hurt you. If anything, it's going to make it better because it's going to draw more people into the podcasting realm, your realm. And eventually they are going to find you and go like, oh, I really like these other podcasts that were competing with Chase, but oh, Chase is the real deal. So anyway, long story short, I, I don't think there there is a negative um, to, to signing up and getting your own podcast. And for somebody like you, as long as you stick with it and, and you keep doing it, same thing with me, like the numbers are going to be there. The listeners are going to be there. And then it's just about like, somebody eventually noticing you as, as you get along the way. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later too, if you want. I had no idea we were going to go in this rabbit hole. To start <laughs> podcast but now you've got like, you've got me, uh, you get the wheels in motion. I, um, do you ever think now that you're in this game that, um, cause I tell people like, it's amazing when I meet people in 2021 who are just not on social media at all that are not, I'm not on content. Facebook. Okay. That's, that's a start, but like not on anything where like I, I think about this a lot where now I've done over 500 episodes. I do this daily. I write all the time. I do everything. I'm in grad school. Like I I'm in I'm in this game and there's no there's no way out. And that is both motivating um, to be the very best I can be, but also terrifying that like 
this is just something that I can't escape. Like I am in this, like I could, I could never walk away from this just because of how much time and uh, energy and sacrifices that I made to get to where I'm even at right now. That like, you, do you ever feel like this is just, uh, I'm, there's no way out. I'm going to give you some relief right now or what I think is relief. Maybe it'll, it'll sound like lecturing. I have no idea. Cause I just met Chase like five minutes ago. Uh, but I I think that everybody gets in this with the idea that they just love the sport or love the movie industry, whatever it is they're covering. But at some point, you start to see what other people in your business are doing, and you either become motivated, you become jealous, or sometimes the two are intertwined. But let me tell you right here and now, there is no money in this industry. There is no clout in this industry. Like, you can talk. I, I talked to Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday in back-to-back weeks. Nobody in my family cares. Like none of my friends or my coworkers in my other job. None of them care. You. Oh do no, this. my mom has never read one of my stories. She's yeah. never read or listened to any of my podcasts. Like I love that. Part of the reason I love my mother so much is that she's not into it. And like in my personal life, my best friends and who I date, I don't like dating sports people. I don't. Uh, I don't want that in my life because it's like a, I want to turn my brain off from that. It's an addiction. It's a yes. time-consuming addiction. And yes, it does like fill that void. It's, it's entertainment. It's live entertainment. It's that adrenaline rush that we don't have in other aspects of our life. Because I would imagine that most people covering the NBA or covering whatever sport, uh, you probably live a pretty mundane life. Like you probably spend a lot of time in your computer. You do like maybe travel, go to hotels and go to games. But for the most part, you're just like sitting, watching. Uh, you're not actively participating in the sport. No, your job is just to observe. And so in that aspect, like it, it is kind of like a hobby that some people get paid to do, but I promise you not many of them get paid very well. No, if you're in this for money, then uh, it's, it's not going to go well. And thankfully I'm not, I'm just in for it. Cause I just, I just want to do this as my job. And then uh, that's all I've ever really wanted to do, but podcasting wasn't even on my radar growing up. And um, it kind of transitioned from working in sports radio in college and um, what I liked and what I didn't like about that and podcasting being the happy medium. But um, I don't know. You just have to do a lot and you have to um, I don't know. I just I'm addicted to getting better. I'm addicted to figuring out ways to improve my product, to um, maximize where I'm at right now, how to keep building. I don't know. I just wonder one day if it's just I'm going to wake up and it's going to be like that, I, that I'm spent. Like, I wonder if that day will ever come, but um, it's also it's also a skill like you're basically an audio engineer at this point. You know how to mix, uh, you know how to cut, you know how to sample. You're going to have to read ads like this is a skill. Um, You are now an expert in your field, whether you know it or not. You might just think you talk into the endless void, but you are assembling skills that can be used out um, anywhere. Like if you go on LinkedIn, you go on Indeed.com. These are valuable skills. But anyway, I'm I'm sure we've been like monologuing for 15 minutes. So your your listeners probably want to listen to some basketball talk at some point. I don't know, man. People love the off-topic stuff. Off-topic stuff that goes really well. Um, But also, it's just fascinating. This is how we're getting to know each other, Preston. We we don't. That's true. uh, This is our first date. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly uh well don't forget folks you can listen to this very podcast on chasingmosspodcast.com where you can get access to all my previous episodes and all of my previous writings that uh, i'm writing all over the place so go do that um, and leave us show a five-star rating interview on apple Podcasts if you're an iphone listener um i have some questions for you preston oh who have you found yourself watching the most in recent weeks which team outside of your the team you cover who have you found yourself drawn to and thinking about a lot i'll be honest if you do not cover the los angeles lakers or the new york knicks um 
probably there's probably not a lot of teams out there that are generating more interest right now than the New Orleans Pelicans win or lose because number one and I'm not talking about the Pelicans being the best team in the NBA of course that's ridiculous but just the level of attention that falls with Zion the level of attention that falls with Brandon Ingram Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart these these former Lakers the amount of uh, picks they have assembled their trade assets and Eric Bledsoe JJ Redick uh, you you could call Nicola Miller or Jackson Hayes uh, trade fodder potentially at this point but just there's so much conversation about the Pelicans at all times. And on top of that, like I said, Zion, you've got uh, this this guy who's, uh, you know, one of one at this point. I, I was going to bring up the numbers, but I lost them. But basically, just if you put side by side what Zion has done through his first 50 games and you compare it to LeBron James, of course, it's a different era. Of course, it's 17 years ago, but the numbers are not close. Zion has been that productive on the offensive end. And of course, we can tear apart the other parts of his game. But the Pelicans are a fun and a clunky watch. And you can't, it's, it's at times, it's like watching a Ferrari. At times, it's like watching a car crash. But either way, it's very hard to turn away. Uh, I also, Living in Orlando, I watch the Orlando Magic, and they're interesting not because they're very good, which of course they're not, but because they are in that kind of desperate mode where you're like, okay, these guys are going to trade some players, right? Like it's at it's at the end of that you know three four year uh, Jeff uh, Weltman John Hammond tenure where it's like, okay, what do you have to show for us for your time here? Like let's mix it up, let's change it up. But my favorite watch, and I imagine probably a lot of listeners would probably agree with this if it's not like the Charlotte Hornets or the Golden State Warriors, is the Brooklyn Nets. I love Kevin Durant. I'm so grateful to see a healthy Kevin Durant. Again, I've always loved watching his game, uh, the smooth nature of it, um, the way he's developed on the opposite end, his selfless nature, but also like his like serial killer demeanor. Like I just have always been a fan of Kevin Durant, his MVP speech, like just the kind of guy he is. I love the prickly nature that he gets on Twitter, just like an honest guy who's not afraid to reveal like you know, true parts of his human emotion. Cause, cause I talk to these guys all the time and many of them, it's so, so hard to get an interesting quote. It's so hard to get them to say anything of note. And that's not a problem with Kevin Durant. If anything, you're almost afraid of what his response might be. So I would say that I can't get enough of the Brooklyn Nets. And if anything, I don't want this season to end because I feel like I could just continue watching them. Well, let's get into the Pelicans because obviously this team we cover and they uh, had a crazy, crazy game yesterday. Um, Walk us through what uh, what happened in the Celtics uh, Pelicans game. Uh, It was a perfect um, summation of the season. The Pelicans were were blown out early. They lost by uh, or they were down by 24. And of course, uh, you probably all are privy to what happened in the fourth quarter in overtime. Basically, Zion didn't sit. I I don't remember exactly what it was, something like the final 16 minutes. But Zion didn't see, sit. Uh, they put in Nicolo Melli to, to give some more space for Zion. And Nicolo Melli actually defended the pick and roll really, really well. He was boxing out. He was giving effort. He actually hit a three, which the guy is is super gunshot. They brought him over uh, to be a three-point threat. And he just he just doesn't take the shot. But he took a big one when it mattered. Uh, and it was really cool to see the emotion on, on his face. I know he really needed that. But I think the most important thing, other than like ho-hum all-star year from Brandon Ingram, his numbers are exactly the same as last year, and yet nobody's talking about him, is is Zion, who, of course, like I mentioned earlier, his numbers, um, you know what, I'm going to pull them up. But as I pull them up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about um, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball, uh, just a few months ago, was, was the subject of trade talks. And now he's doing 17-5-5 and while shooting 48% from three-point range. Uh, in, in the month of February over the last 10 games or so. And defensively, he's probably one of the Pelicans' best players. Obviously, you have to put Steven Adams in there. Maybe you'd consider Josh Hart. Josh Hart is certainly asked to take on a lot of the toughest assignments. Uh, okay, here we go. Over the past 11 games, Zion, 
26.6 points, 5.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, one steal, one block on 70% shooting, 50% from three. 80% from the free throw line. I'm not counting last night's game. I, I did that before the Celtics games. But these numbers aren't aren't absurd. They're historic. The only player who even comes close is Kevin McHale. And I think he was 61% from the field in 1986-1987. So Zion is doing what no one has ever done. And he's still technically in his first year. I think he's about 53-54 games in. He's unstoppable. Teams are rotating their entire strong side to him. They're they're overcompensating for his for his pressure his penetration and they still he is the definition of unstoppable right now and now he's developing as a playmaker the pelicans are putting him more on ball they're giving him uh, the ball at the top of the perimeter because they were having trouble frankly getting it to him in the post because teams were were overcrowding him and they were doubling him up now they can't do that because he's starting with the ball so that aspect of it has been really interesting watching lonzo develop into this this off ball threat has been really really interesting but he hasn't lost his playmaking and he hasn't lost his shooting it's just improved so that aspect of it has been really really interesting and yet i'm praising them all this and they stink uh i think they're like 13 and 17 right now so perfect middle of the pack i think they're somewhere around 13th in the western conference right now so they're not a contender but there are a lot of really interesting parts about them and you'd think if they can make a subtle move add like an eighth man who can give you minutes at the three or four maybe uh, an upgrade over billy hernan gomez uh steven adams has been out recently he gets back up into the lineup you get more kyra lewis if he can play a bit better than eric bledsoe who looks like he's eyeballing I, frankly i was out on eric bledsoe before we ever came here he's he's not the type of player who's gonna you know assume the chris paul role in oklahoma city really well uh it, it, it was apparent from the get-go that he wasn't really going to be a long-term answer in New Orleans, let's just say. So he needs to be moved. J.J. Redick needs to be moved. If you can put together a guy who's... They weren't a good fit. Like, the Bledsoe-Lonzo Ball situation never made any sense to me, especially when you have Steven Adams in this lineup. This was just a weird, weird way to surround Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson with uh, veteran pieces that made sense. Well, on paper, Eric Bledsoe is supposed to be this all-defensive player, right? So you think you just put him on the opposite side of Lonzo Ball. He shuts somebody down. He gives you 14 points a game. And yes, it might not be necessarily uh, a great fit in that he's he's not a great shooter. But this year, he's actually shooting 40% from three. So Mm -hmm. the the problem hasn't been his shooting. The problem has been his effort, his lack of awareness. It just And it bleeds out on other guys. You see it on all these guys' faces where it just seems like they don't care. And when you've got a guy like Josh Hart who never stops, you got a guy like Steven Adams who never stops. Uh, stops you that kind of gets canceled out when you have energies on the floor that do stop you you see that it it can't not bleed into other guys in the locker room you can't not see it you can't not acknowledge it and maybe it's not even necessarily Eric Bledsoe's fault he didn't want to play in New Orleans um, at this stage of his career he wants to be on a contender and maybe he deserves to be so it's in their best interest to make that happen Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Absolutely, absolutely. What have you noticed more than anything else that's changed about Zion Williamson's game from this year, from, uh, from, from with this year to last year? It's hard to tell because last year he was on such a heavy minutes restriction. We really only got like 26 games out of him. And then, uh, you know, he he had that family emergency right before the bubble. And then he got to the bubble and he he appeared to be out of shape or in worse shape than he was uh, during practices when we when we got a look at how explosive he was. So it's it's really hard to tell because we only got 
a quarter of a season. And even that snapshot was, was really, really small. We had games where he was playing 14 minutes. So now we're seeing him up to 35 minutes, up to 38 minutes, up to 40 minutes. And we're really getting a better look. And the more comfortable he gets, it's seemingly the more explosive he gets, the more unstoppable he gets. So I think Honestly, we're just getting a larger sample size and the guys around him are just learning to play off of him with how well Brandon Ingram was doing last year. We were all just readily assuming that Brandon Ingram perhaps was going to be Batman and Zion was going to be Robin. And no, now the tides have kind of turned and Brandon Ingram is still just as successful off ball with Zion initiating the office. So long term, if if you are going to go to the next level as a New Orleans Pelican, it's it's probably going to be with Zion running the show and Brandon Ingram kind of serving in that Chris Middleton type role, which is no shot at him. Chris Middleton at, at times last year was a top 10 player and Brandon Ingram's ceiling is above his. So he can continue evolving even. But right now he's kind of normalized at that like 24 points, you know, five rebounds, uh, five assists on like 48, uh, 38, uh, really, really good numbers for the degree of difficulty of the shots he's making. But just in terms of of Zion, I, I think his prowess as a playmaker, getting other guys involved, because every time he charges the paint, the defense collapses. And it doesn't take much to just kick out to somebody on the perimeter. And if those guys are making shots, I mean, the, the, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans over the last 11 games are number one in the NBA in offensive rating, even above the Brooklyn Nets. So this this is a team whose who's ceiling is still expanding offensively. And of course, Zion's the biggest part of that. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, this is all positive. And I think the defensive stuff, if I, it's so much harder to develop an offensive juggernaut than it is to develop a defensive juggernaut. And it's, you can find the three and D guys everywhere. You can find like defense is so much more effort and basketball intelligence and things like that, where, and just like the way you're born and your versatility and just, um, your length and, uh, how good you are at defending one through five. Like you can, you can do that, but it's almost impossible to create guys who are just as offensively gifted and offensively dominant as Zion finds himself. So I, I think if the biggest issue with him in the next few years is his defense and how you figure that out. I think the Pelicans are in uh, good shape. Um, is there a trade deadline move that makes the most sense for you in terms of the Pelicans? Yeah, um, honestly, it's it's really just shedding J.J. Redick at this point would be the first move. Even just uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he has a player option next year if you just get him to to buy into that. I'm not sure that he would want that. That's the move that seemingly makes the most sense. Uh, but but well, I think number- he does want to go to Brooklyn or New York. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, and it would be easy to get him to to the Knicks if that's where he wanted to go. And I don't think the Pelicans really honestly are expecting to get much from him. So I think at this point, the ball is kind of in his court. If they're not going to get anything for him, it makes the most sense to just hold him until that deadline and right before the deadline, send him to wherever uh, he would prefer to go. But after that, the most obvious one to me is Eric Bledsoe. It's just, it's going to be hard. Uh, he still has another year fully guaranteed, and he's got a third year after that that I think is guaranteed around $5 million. So teams aren't going to want to take that salary. So you're either going to have to take negative salary back in some form, or you're going to have to attach assets to him. And that that could be to the Pelicans' benefits, like a guy that I talk about all the time who has been in the wrong situation his entire career is Aaron Gordon. If you could attach Eric Bledsoe and a couple of first-round picks to bring Aaron Gordon to the New Orleans Pelicans, I think that's a move that makes a ton of sense. If you think about you know, a closing lineup, obviously not this year. They would have to evolve together, but Brandon Ingram, Aaron Gordon, and Zion Williamson in the front court unstoppable offensively unstoppable defensively very very versatile of course Zion still has so much growth to do on that end so right now there'd probably be a disaster but when you think about what they could do offensively anyway 
It would take growth, but the Pelicans are desperate for that long kind of wing defender. And Aaron Gordon is one of the best in the NBA at that. So that's just something off kilter. But the Magic should be sellers. The Pelicans should be sellers. The Rockets should be sellers. What are they going to do with Victor Oladipo? Um, And that's something maybe the Pelicans would be interested in in a Victor Oladipo. But of course, he's going to want like max level money. So I don't know who in the NBA is going to be willing to pay that. Uh, Andre Drummond is somebody who's probably going to get a buyout. I would think Blake Griffin is another buyout candidate. JaVale McGee is somebody who who could help the Pelicans uh, among other teams. He could help anybody. If you put him in Brooklyn, that's a huge uh, addition. So I I would hope there's going to be a a lot of moves right now, but right now it's been really, really quiet. So I don't think we're really close to to, um, a trade deadline like some of the ones we've seen in recent years. But of course, things can pick up at any moment. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of things picking up at any moment, Preston, uh, bad luck, yes or no, for the Timberwolves to immediately fire Ryan Saunders and immediately hire his replacement, Chris Finch, from Toronto. I am going to check myself on this because I'm not the best authority to talk on it. Um, I don't think it's a good look at all. Uh, With that said, the caveat being the Minnesota Timberwolves have been eyeing Chris Finch for multiple seasons. They've talked to him multiple times. This is not, it's not just something that happened overnight. They're like, what's Chris Finch doing in Toronto? So they've, they've been in contact and this has been close to happening for a large portion of time. My caveat to that is I am a huge David Vanterpool fan. I wrote about him in the off season uh, for the birdrice.com for SB nation. Um, obviously he's a guy who needs a look. He's on the bench. It doesn't make sense to bring in an outside party. It's, it's a disservice to, to Chris Finch. Even it's, it's a disservice to everybody in the locker room. It's a disservice to the organization. Uh, he's going to have a monumental task of learning on the fly with a game every other night. He's going to be, uh, what's the word, uh, making contacts with these players as some of for the first time, of course, he's, he's acquainted with them, but he's going to be establishing relationships with these guys in the locker room. And that's just hard to do. And you're doing that as you're teaching them a new system. No, I would think they probably teach a lot of the system they have in place with a couple of quirks here and there, but Vanterpool's on the bench. You know, everybody respects him. You know, everybody's going to listen to him. The only reason I think the the Timberwolves do this is because they regret not hiring Chris Finch in the past and the past. And now they're, they're nervous that some other team uh, is going to pick him up this offseason who's, who's got a much better long-term future than the Timberwolves have right now. But still, I, I think it's bad look. I, I don't think it's it was the right decision. This is an organization that doesn't have a great uh, recent track record, and not even recent, uh, over the past two to three decades. Uh, so I, I think universally you'd probably find that, that a lot of people have a ton of respect for Chris Finch. I know I do. I've covered him. I've talked to him. Um, I wrote about him as a potential uh, candidate for the Pelicans job, amongst others. But it's it's just it's not a great look. And it's not a great look that you've got a 29 year old head coach uh, who's sliding into that position. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about it. But my caveat being is Chris Finch didn't didn't fall out. His name didn't fall out of a hat. They have been interested in him for a long time. Yeah, I um I don't know. It, it's all weird. This is something that's like normal in hockey, though. So I don't know if like any NHL managerial change like midseason, they will go out and just hire a replacement uh, midseason like it's nothing. This is something that I just was always blown away by with hockey and we never really see it in other pro sports. But um, it happened and we shall see if it works out. But I mean, before the season, I said that um, Ryan Saunders would be the first coach fired. This roster stinks. Uh, the D'Angelo Russell trade was awful. Anthony Edwards, I didn't like the fit. Um, Jarrett Culver been sneaky bad. Like this roster is just atrocious and watching 
watching a lot of wolves this year. Um, the Rubio signing hasn't worked out. Like it's just all kinds of, of a mess there. And um, it's even more complicated and awkward because of the situation with his father. And it, it just, it comes as no surprise that Glenn Taylor and the, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves did not handle this dismissal with grace and uh, it being a little, little nasty. Um, PJ Tucker. He's probably gonna be in the movie. You mentioned the Rockets, the sellers, this trade deadline. Um, Peter Tucker, I think, like you said, with JaVale and Andre Drummond and a lot of other pieces, he would help a lot of people right now. The Bucks are interested. The Bucks are on a weird slide. Defense is weird for them this year. Um, they're playing a di- different style. Um, most people are not all concerned yet. Um, it is interesting that uh, there doesn't seem to be the panic button there going on. Giannis doesn't seem all that concerned. Um, but I don't really know if I love the fit of PJ Tucker in Milwaukee. When I think of the places that he makes the most sense, Brooklyn being number one, I just, I don't, I don't really love the idea of PJ Tucker there and having PJ and Giannis in your closing lineup. That, that really scares me. Well, I think it, it depends on what you're planning to do on Zion or with Giannis. With Giannis, if you want him, you know, manning the five, just at this stage of his career, PJ Tucker. Yeah, P.J. Tucker flourishes as the small ball five and alongside mm-hmm. James Harden. So the Brooklyn Nets make a lot of sense, honestly. Uh, this this year, you'd have to think the Rockets are just going to buy him out. There's not going to be much they can get for him. Maybe Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes uh, straight up just because of their age might be enough. But he's he's averaging less than five points. He's shooting like 33% from three, less than 40% from the field. So there's just... There's just not going to be a lot of interest at any kind of reasonable price point for him. You're either going to buy him out or you're just going to swap salaries. So, But there are 30 teams in the NBA that P.J. Tucker would help. And I'm going to tell you why. And it's not just because of his on-court product, the clunky fit that you're talking about. It's the tenacity. It's the energy in the locker room. It's the veteran leadership. Even if when this guy's not on the floor, he's going to be coaching other guys. He's going to be in other guys' ears. And for a team like the Milwaukee Bucks that have fallen short two years you, you start to have that thought creep in the back of your mind. Is this going to happen again, a la the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard? And when you have a guy like that in the locker room or on the court, that's not going to happen. That energy is not going to be present. Uh, he's not going to let you feel that way. So he's going to be a massive addition for whoever gets him. I'd imagine it's going to be for a contending level team. Um, and they're, they're going to be lucky to have him. He can still defend at a very high level. If you saw him in the bubble uh, against Anthony Davis in the first game, the Rockets won that game. In game two, what happened? Uh, you can judge this for yourself. 15 seconds in, PJ Tucker gets called for a foul. Seven minutes later, he gets his second foul. He sits. The Lakers go on like a 30 to 10 run. They By the time P.J. Tucker gets back in, the game is over at that point. And then uh, what's his name? Daniel House, uh, I, I think, got suspended maybe game three or game four. And by then it's over. By then it's over. But in game one, the Rockets appeared to be able to take whatever punch the Los Angeles Lakers could throw at them. And that was in large part due to P.J. Tucker doing P.J. Tucker things. Uh, he's he's not going to be your team's third best player, fourth best player, but for a team like the Bucks, a team like the Brooklyn Nets, he can be the difference. Yeah, I think so. But we shall see what happens there. Um, the Sixers being run by Daryl Morey now, um, it should come as no surprise that they are in the market for a big-time trade. Um, they have been the best team in the regular season in the East this year, the most consistent. But um, Morey is always big game hunting, and he might see this as like, hey, Joel Embiid's playing at an MVP level. Ben Simmons is motivated. We can go get one more piece to really push us over the top. But the question arises as to whether or not they would have to part with Ben Simmons to make one final big splash 
to uh, pair Joel Embiid with someone who can win a, he can win a title with. Um, do you want to see the Sixers make a big time trade, or do you think they should ride this out with their group right now and see what it uh, what it looks like actually in the playoffs? I'm sure I'll regret saying this, but I want to see them ride it out. I love this team. I love the fit. The caveat being everybody's healthy right now. Everybody's playing at an elite level right now. Ben Simmons is who we thought he was. Joel Embiid's playing like an MVP. All the pieces fit. Matisse Thibel is a great long-term solution stopper. Uh, Danny Green isn't the player that he used to be, but if you need a big bucket, and I'm I'm excluding the Game 5 Miami Heat bucket uh, where LeBron kicked it out to him, and that was one you were like, oh man, people are going to remember that for a long time. But he is somebody who's who's hit those shots on, on the biggest stage. Uh, You've got Seth Curry, who was a monumental addition. Tobias Harris is having a a career year. He's doing exactly what you need from him. He's aggressive. Tyrese Maxey looks like a steal. I just like these players. Of course, there are fringe additions that you can make. You know, somebody like a a P.J. Tucker. There there are places around the roster where you can kind of clean things up. They'll, They'll be a strong buyout contender. But in terms of the core pieces, I like this team. I like the way they're producing. I, I don't want to break it up. This team has suffered so many setbacks over the years because they've continued tinkering. Uh, Joel Embiid had a, a quote, or maybe it was Brett Brown, who uh, cited on his way out how many players he'd had to coach during his tenure there. Don't do it. They're playing well. Everybody's like at their apex. Uh, just let's let's just see if they can keep doing it. Let's just see if we can continue this. If you want to add some fringe players, great. But other than that, the core, the foundation is there. They look like the best team in the East, or they're at least going to be taking Brooklyn's best punch. And even though Brooklyn has, you know, these all-world MVP type players, how are they going to stop Joel Embiid? How are they going to do that? Uh, you'd think that Ben Simmons has as good a chance as any as, as you know, manning up James Harden or, or Kyrie Irving. And then after that, it's just like mano and mano. How do you stop Kevin Durant? Uh, obviously, nobody can do that. But they, they've they got as good a shot at taking them down as anybody right now. And, and many might even consider them the favorite. So I'm going to leave them be. I'm not considering any kind of Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons type trades or anything like that. I want to see if this team can do it. We've been waiting long enough to see if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can do it. This this is the time. This is it. Let's see if they can do it. And if not, we'll have this conversation in the summer. I would do it. I I'm I don't know. I, I would I just I'm so concerned about the long-term fit still with Ben and Joel. Joel is just playing out of his mind. I would just go chips all in because I I don't know. Year by year, I'm always nervous about Joel Embiid's health and when it all falls apart and when the bad injury comes and I I don't know. I just think we all like to believe our windows are longer than usual in sports. And uh, the Sixers seems like one where last year it was a disaster. The year before, they were a unlucky bounce uh, from Kawhi Leonard from being in the finals and maybe winning an NBA title. So I uh, I always err on the side of don't let this moment pass you by if you think uh, you have a real shot of winning if you go all in. Um, does Boogie make sense on the Lakers in your opinion? I don't know. Uh, at this point, I, I just want to see Boogie, you know, be Boogie again. And I don't know that putting him in that kind of spotlight again where, you know, you've got the pressure of the playoffs. He's going to want to do more. He's going to want to push his body. He's going to want to really earn that ring. Uh, you're putting him in a position to, you know, make himself a lot of money next year in free agency. But you're also putting him into a position where he's going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulder. So, yes, Boogie can can help anybody when he's Boogie. but. I don't know. Part of me just just wants to see him, you know, getting 20 minutes for a night for a, a plucky contender, just get himself back into shape, but not have to push himself and just be boogie again. And then next year, 
you know, we'll see where he lands. Hopefully he can find a, a starting center position someplace. But I, I, I don't know. He can help anybody is, is my answer. I, I'm just concerned. And honestly, like I'm kind of sad because he was putting together a career that was a surefire Hall of Fame career. If you look at his numbers, nobody has facilitated uh, at that position the way that he has, with the exception of some of the all-time greats. Nikola Jokic is going to be in that conversation. Nobody has passed the ball like Nikola Jokic, but Boogie was that type of playmaker. He was that type of guy who could get you 40 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists. And when he was activated defensively, we don't talk about his defense, because honestly, when you're putting up those kind of numbers, generally, it's really hard to do that on both ends. But when he was dialed in, uh, in 2018 behind Anthony Davis and he finally re- relinquished the reins on that team and he said this is your team AD and he was just getting like 15 points a game he was dialed in on the other end and he and AD together were unstoppable I just want to see a glimpse of that player again because I feel like I feel like we've lost as viewers as fans and I can't imagine what he's lost one of potentially the all-time greats like maybe let's talk like top 40 all-time uh, top 30 might be pushing it but he was putting up that kind of volume through the early parts of his career, and he was still in his absolute prime in his mid to late 20s. So I just want to see him be boogie again, and I don't care where he does it. Yeah, we, I am, um, I just, I'm not in on big, especially bigs who've been hurt. And it's just, eh, you, uh, I don't know. He wouldn't hurt Lakers. He's not moving the needle, he's not changing things, but, um, I like watching DeMarcus Cousins play basketball. So wherever he goes, I hope he gets in the rotation somewhere, gets some 12 minutes, gets the JaVale McGee minutes, and maybe that is in L.A. I don't I don't know. Um, last two things, Preston. Um, the Knicks reportedly in on Bradley Beal and monitoring C.J. McCollum in Portland. Do you think that it's wise for Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose and this new administration and World Wide West to really <laughs> – maximize this early window because they're a sneaky older team they play a lot of vets julius randall's playing at an all-star level um rj barrett's developed nicely you have emmanuel quickly who looks like uh, just an absolute stud in the backcourt and you've given him a veteran mentor and derrick rose do you go in on somebody like bradley beal to make sure you get in the playoffs for the next couple of years and hope that just getting that one piece is step one and then because you're the knicks because you're in new york you can attract somebody else or do you stand pack, miss the playoffs, or get in the playoff playing game and just uh, keep betting on the youth movement, uh, working around these veterans? You sell high on Julius Randle. Like, what what do you do here? Honestly, like, if you're the Knicks, you have to be interested and you have to make those phone calls and do your due diligence. I just don't know that they have what it would take to get Bradley Beal. I'm not really that high on R.J. Barrett. I wrote about that for Bleacher Report. Uh, Obi Toppin, I just haven't seen enough. Uh, Julius yeah. Randle would have to be in that trade just to just to make the numbers work. Of course, you could talk Mitchell Robinson. You could talk Emmanuel quickly. But at that point, you've got no team left. So that's not really reasonable either. So from from the Wizards' perspective, I, I would just think there, there are going to be better offers out there. There's, I mean, the, the first one that always comes up is Denver, but that's there are going to be four to five teams that are legitimately interested. And, and I brought up the Orlando Magic, who are surefire sellers. But if somebody like Bradley Beal becomes available, they become a really intriguing landing spot because you've got Jonathan Isaac, although, you know, his his injury history makes him a question mark. But you still got Aaron Gordon. I mean, you could talk about... Nikola Vucevic, you could talk about Markel Fultz, you could talk about Cole Anthony. There's a lot of salary matching there. They've got a lot of picks going forward. Uh, I I would think that, for me, would be a a bit more intriguing than New York, but I I guess that's just in the eye of the beholder. But at any rate, I don't think either of those franchises, you you want a top-level player coming back. You want 
you know, that Michael Porter or maybe even if a Jamal Murray is on the table because, uh, you know, in the regular season, Jamal Murray becomes a different player. And then you see him in the playoffs and you're like, oh, holy cow, this is an all star caliber top 20 player. And then he just kind of shrinks back to earth in, in the regular season. So it's really difficult to assess his value. I would imagine the Nuggets value him higher than anyone else does. But I mean, the pieces are there. If you want to pair uh, Michael Porter, a ton of picks and attach that to Gary Harris's contract. That's really all you need right there. And I think that's pretty interesting from the Wizards perspective. I, I don't think that the Knicks would really be able to get in on that unless, you know, of course, you, you've got somebody out there like uh, Bradley Beal's agent who says he's only going to resign in New York. And I've seen we, we've seen a lot of players make that kind of power play gesture. But uh, aside from that, of, of course, he makes sense there. Um, but I, I just that doesn't seem like logical to me at this point. Yeah, we we shall see. I don't think they're going to end up doing anything. I think they're just going to continue writing this out. Um, last thing, is Zach Levine an all-star in your estimation, Preston? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, and and this one will probably like draw the the most criticism, I'm not sure. But when you look at his numbers, it's, it's going to be hard to get him in there because, of course, everybody wants to vote for Trey Young because the playmaker he is and because the assists and, and just the raw numbers um, – you know, Jalen Brown's got to be in there. Jason Tatum's got to be in there. It's it's tough, but I just want to leave you with this. 29 points, 5.4 rebounds, 5.1 assists on 52% from the field, 43% from three, 86% from the free throw rate. The only players to ever put up numbers like this, Larry Bird, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. And I know what everybody's pushback will say, the Bulls don't matter this year. Well, of course, you could ar- argue Bradley Beal doesn't matter this year. Trey Young doesn't matter this year. So it's uh, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum are the tough ones because uh, they're, they're taking up two spots for, for one team. But you, Zach Levine has to be there. But what we see in the NBA is the first year that you reach these heights, these type of numbers, you generally don't get in. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking about Bradley Beal specifically. There has to be the level of kickback and the concern after a player doesn't make it that the next year we, we finally reward them uh, a bit like the Academy Awards, I'd imagine. But when you just look at what he's been doing, you can't you can't not allow him in. And I, I hear the criticism on on defense, uh, the the lack of awareness on that end. But he does give you effort. He does have the archetype body size to be a defender. He has not put it together. But offensively, what he's doing right now is just historic. It's historic, and he needs to be in that game. And, I mean, if you if you want to take somebody out of the game, the, the Hawks have the exact same record. That's difficult. Bradley Beal's going over 30 points a game. That's difficult. So then you, you start talking about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and that's difficult because they're playing for a winning team. So just what is your criteria over what an All-Star is? Does it require you're on a winning team? Is it just purely numbers? But at some point, regardless of what your method is, Zach Levine has to meet that threshold. Yeah. I I don't know. I think he's having a great year. I think his team is playing above expectations. He's <laughs> having the 31st best scoring month in Bulls history right now, even with those historic numbers, just because of how amazing Michael Jordan was. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would be okay with it. And I think um, it's a good story and he's someone who's easy to root for. Um, Preston, what can we check out from you this week all over the interweb? Uh, you know, it's, it's been a quieter year for me as I kind of reinvent myself. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I do a ton of basketball. I do a ton of podcasts. You can, you can check out the bird calls podcast at an episode yesterday, uh, for armchair media. Uh, I write on the bird rights. I write on Orlando pinstripe post. I write on bleach report. 
But generally, if, if you want to follow me, if you like me, just follow me on Twitter at Preston Ellis. That's where you'll honestly get the most content. I, I drop a ton of stats and nuggets in there pretty much on a, on a daily basis. And I, I cut together some videos and that sort of stuff. But honestly, the best way, if you want to support any of us, you know, just go on our podcast, hit subscribe, give us those ratings, follow us on Twitter or whatever platform you prefer to be on. That's 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 the best way to help all of us. And that's the best way to make our numbers grow and give us confidence to keep doing this thing. Absolutely. Well, go check out Preston's great work all over the Internet. Uh, Keep up the great work, sir. And uh, thank you so much for the time. This was this was great. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.